Act three of The Bell's Stratagem by Hannah Cowley. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Act three, scene one. Mr. Hardy's. Enter Letitia and Mrs. Racket. Come, prepare, prepare. Your lover is coming. My lover? confess now that my absence at dinner was a severe mortification to him i can't absolutely swear it spoiled his appetite he eat as if he were hungry and drank his wine as though he liked it what was the apology that you were ill but i gave him a hint that your extreme bashfulness could not support his eye if i comprehend him awkwardness and bashfulness are the last faults he can pardon in a woman so expect to see me transformed into the veriest malkin you persevere then certainly i know the design is a rash one and the event important it either makes derricourt mine by all the tenderest ties of passion or deprives me of him for ever and never to be his wife will afflict me less than to be his wife and not be beloved so you won't trust the good old maxim marry first and love will follow as readily as i would venture my last guinea that good fortune might follow the woman that has not touched the heart of a man before he leads her to the altar has scarcely a chance to charm it when possession and security turn their powerful arms against her but here he comes i'll disappear for a moment don't spare me Exit Letitia. Enter Doricourt, not seeing Mrs. Racket. So? Looking at a picture. This is my mistress, I presume. Ma foi. The painter has hit her off. The downcast eye, the blushing cheek, timid, apprehensive, bashful. A tear in a prayer book would have made her look like La Bella Magdalena. Give me a woman in whose touching mien, a mind, a soul, polished art is seen whose motion speaks, whose poignant air can move. Such are the darts to wound with endless love. Is that an impromptu? Touching him on the shoulder with her fan. Doricourt, starting. Madam. Aside. Finally caught. Uh, not absolutely. It struck me during the dessert. as a motto for your picture. Gallantly turned i perceive however miss hardy's charms have made no violent impression on you and who can wonder the poor girl's defects are so obvious defects merely those of education her father's indulgence ruined her mauvaise honte conceit and ignorance all unite in the lady you are to marry marry i marry such a woman your picture i hope is overcharged i marry mauvaisant pertness and ignorance thank your stars that ugliness and ill-temper are not added to the list you must think her handsome half her personal beauty would content me but could the medician venus be animated for me and endowed with a vulgar soul i should become the statue and my heart transformed to marble bless us we are in a hopeful way then dorcourt aside 
There must be some envy in this. I see she is a coquette. <laughs> and you imagine I am persuaded of the truth of your character? <laughs> Miss Hardy, I have been assured, madame, is elegant and accomplished. But one must allow for a lady's painting. Mrs. Rackett, aside. I'll be even with him for that. <laughs> and so you have found me out well i protest i meant no harm twas only to increase the eclat of her appearance that i threw a veil over her charms here comes the lady her elegance and accomplishments will announce themselves enter letitia running law cousin do you know that our john Oh, dear heart, I didn't see you, sir. Hanging down her head and dropping behind Mrs. Rackett. By Leticia, Mr. Doricourt thinks you a woman of elegant manners. Stand forward and confirm his opinion. No, no, keep before me. He's my sweetheart, and tis impudent to look one sweetheart in the face, you know you'll allow in future for a lady's painting sir <laughs> i am astonished well hang it i'll take heart why he is but a man you know cousin and i'll let him see i wasn't born in a wood to be scared by an owl half apart advances and looks at him through her fingers <laughs> goes up to him and makes a very stiff formal curtsy he bows. You have been a great traveller, sir, I hear. Yes, madame. Then I wish you'd tell us about the fine sights you saw when you went oversea. I have read in a book that there are some countries where men and women are all horses. Did you see any of them? Mr. Doricourt is not prepared, my dear, for these inquiries. He is reflecting on the importance of the question and will answer you when he can when he can why he's as slow in speech as aunt marjorie when she's reading thomas aquinas and stands gaping like a mum chance have a little discretion hold your tongue sure i may say what i please before i am married if i can't afterwards do you think a body does not know how to talk to a sweetheart he is not the first i have had indeed Oh, Lud, he speaks. Why, if you must know, there was the curate at home when Papa was a-hunting. He used to come a-suitoring and make speeches to me out of books. Nobody knows what a mort of fine things he used to say to me, and call me Venus and Juba and Dinah. And pray, fair lady, how did you answer him? Why, I used to say, look you, Mr. Curate, don't think to come over me with your flim-flams, for a better man than ever trod in your shoes is coming over sea to marry me. But I, fags, I begin to think I was out. Parson Dobbins was the sprightfuller man of the two. Surely this cannot be, Miss Hardy. Laws, why don't you know me? You saw me to-day. But I was daunted before my father and the lawyer and all of them, and did not care to speak out. So maybe you thought I couldn't, but I can talk as fast as anybody when I know folks a little. And now I have shown my parts. I hope you'll like me better. Enter Hardy. I foresee this won't do. Mr. Doricourt, 
maybe you take my daughter for a fool but you are mistaken she's a sensible girl as any in england i am convinced she has a very uncommon understanding sir aside i did not think he had been such an ass my father will undo the whole laws papa how can you think he can take me for a fool when everybody knows i beat the pot carry at conundrums last christmas time and didn't i make a string of names all in riddles for the lady's diary there was a little river and a great house that was newcastle there was what a lamb says and three letters that was bay and k e r cur baker there was don't stand a bind there you'll make me mad in a moment i tell you sir that for all that she's devilish sensible sir i give all possible credit to your assertions laws papa do come along if you stand watching how can my sweetheart break his mind and tell me how he admires me that would be difficult indeed madam i tell you lessie i'll have no more of this i see well enough laws don't snub me before my husband that is to be you'll teach him to snub me too and i believe by his looks he'd like to begin now so let us go cousin you may tell the gentleman what a genus i have how i can cut watch-papers and work cat-guts make quadrille baskets with pins and take profiles in shade ay as well as the lady at number sixty-two south molton street governor square exit hardy and letitia what do you think of my painting now oh mere watercolours madame the lady has caricatured your picture and how does she strike you on the whole like a good design spoiled by the incapacity of the artist her faults are evidently the result of her father's weak indulgence i observed an expression in her eye that seemed to satirize the folly of her lips but at her age when education is fixed and manner becomes nature hopes of improvement would be as rational as hopes of gold from a juggler's crucible doricourt's wife must be incapable of improvement but it must be because she's got beyond it i am pleased your misfortune sits no heavier your pardon madame so mercurial was the hour in which i was born that misfortunes always go plump to the bottom of my heart like a pebble in water and leave the surface unruffled i shall certainly set off for bath or the other world to-night but whether i shall use a chaise with four swift courses or go off in a tangent from the aperture of a pistol deserves consideration so i make my adieus going oh but i entreat you postpone your journey till to-morrow determine on which you will you must be this night at the masquerade masquerade why not if you resolve to visit the other world you may as well take one night's pleasure first in this you know faith that's very true ladies are the best philosophers after all expect me at the masquerade exit doricourt he's a charming fellow i think letitia shan't have him
going. Enter Hardy. What? He gone? Yes, and I am glad he is. You would have ruined us. Now, I beg, Mr. Hardy, you won't interfere in this business. It is a little out of your way. Exit Mrs. Rackett. Hang me if I don't know. I foresee very clearly what will be the end of it if I leave you to yourselves. So I'll e'en follow him to the masquerade and tell him all about it. Let me see. What shall my dress be? A great mogul? No. A grenadier? No. No, that I foresee would make a laugh. Hang me if I don't send to my favourite little quick and borrow his Jew Isaac's dress. I know the dog likes a glass of good wine, so I'll give him a bottle of my forty-eight, and he shall teach me. Aye, that's it. I'll be cunning little Isaac. If they complain of my want of wit, I'll tell them the cursed duenna wears the breeches and has spoiled my parts. Exit Hardy. Scene two. Courtals. Enter Courtall, Seville, and three others from an apartment in the back scene. The last three tipsy. You shan't go yet. Another catch and another bottle. May I be a bottle and an empty bottle if you catch me at that? Why, I'm going to the masquerade. Jack, you know who I mean, is to meet me and we are to have a leap at the new lustres. And I am going too. Uh, a harlequin. Hiccups. Am not I in a pretty pickle to make harlequin art? <laughs> and Tony here is going in the disguise, in the disguise of a gentleman. We are all very disguised, so bid them draw up, do you hear? Excellent, the three gentlemen. Thy skull, Cortal, is a lady's thimble. <laughs> no, an eggshell. Nay, then you are gone too. You never aspire to similes, but in your cups. No, no, I am steady enough. But the fumes of the wine pass directly through thy eggshell and leave thy brain as cool as... Hey, I am quite sober. My similes fail me. Then we'll sit down here and have one sober bottle. Bring a table and glasses. I'll not swallow another drop. No, though the juice should be the true Falernian. By the bright eyes of her you love, you shall drink her health. Ah. Sitting down. Her I loved is gone. Ah. She's married. Then bless your stars you were not her husband. I would be husband to no woman in Europe who was not devilish rich and devilish ugly. Wherefore ugly? Because she could not have the conscience to exact those attentions that a pretty wife expects. Or, if she should, her resentments would be perfectly easy to me. Nobody would undertake to revenge her cause. Thou art a most licentious fellow. I should hate my own wife, that's certain. But I have a warm heart for those of other people. 
and so here's to the prettiest wife in england lady frances touchwood lady frances touchwood i rise to drink her drinks how the devil came lady frances in your head i never knew you give a woman of chastity before that's odd for you have heard me give half the women of fashion in england but pray now what do you take a woman of chastity to be such a woman as lady frances touchwood sir oh you are grave sir i remember you was an adorer of hers why didn't you marry her i had not the arrogance to look so high had my fortune been worthy of her she should not have been ignorant of my admiration precious fellow what i suppose you would not dare tell her now that you admire her no nor you well by the lord i have told her so have impossible <laughs> is it so how did she receive the declaration why in the old way blushed and frowned and said she was married what amazing things thou art capable of i could more easily have taken the pope by the beard than profaned her ears with such a declaration i shall meet her at lady brilliant's to-night where i shall repeat it and i'll lay my life under a mask shall hear it all without blush or frown seville rising tis false sir she won't she will rising nay i'd venture to lay a round sum that i prevail on her to go out with me only to taste the fresh air i mean preposterous vanity from this moment i suspect that half the victories you have boasted are false and slanderous as your pretended influence with lady frances pretended how should such a fellow as you now who never soared beyond a cherry-cheeked daughter of a ploughman in norfolk judge of the influence of a man of my figure and habits i could show thee a list in which there are names to shake thy faith in the whole sex and to that list i have no doubt of adding the name of lady hold sir my ears cannot bear the profanation you cannot dare not approach her for your soul you dare not mention love to her her look would freeze the word while it hovered on thy licentious lips whoa whoa well we shall see this evening by jupiter the trial shall be made if i fail i fail i think thou darest not but my life my honour on her purity exit seville hot-headed fool but since he has brought it to this point by gad i'll try what can be done with her ladyship hmm musing rings she's frost-work and the prejudices of education yet strong ergo passionate professions will only inflame her pride and put her on her guard for other arts then enter dick dick do you know any of the servants at sir george touchwood's yes sir i knows the groom and one of the housemaids for the matter o dat she's me own cousin 
and it was me muttered it helped her to the place. Do you know Lady Frances's maid? I can't say as I know she. Do you know Sir George's valet? No, sir, but Sally is very tick with Mr. Gibson, Sir George's gentleman. Ah, then go there directly, and employ Sally to discover whether her master goes to Lady Brilliance this evening. And if he does, the name of the shop that sold his habit. Yes, sir. Be exact in your intelligence, and come to me at Boodle's. Exit Dick. If I cannot otherwise succeed, I'll beguile her as Jove did Alcmina in the shape of her husband, the possession of so fine a woman, the triumph over Saville, are each a sufficient motive, and united they shall be resistless. Exit Corto. Scene three. The street. Enter Seville. The air has recovered me. What have I been doing? Perhaps my petulance may be the cause of her ruin, whose honor I asserted. His vanity is piqued, and where women are concerned, Cortal can be a villain. Enter Dick, bows and passes hastily. Ha! Ah, that's his servant. Dick! Dick returning. Sir? Where are you going, Dick? Going? I am going, sir, where me master sent me. Well answered. But I have a particular reason for my inquiry, and you must tell me. Why, then, sir, I am going to call upon a cousin of mine that lives at Sir George Touchwood's. Very well. There. Gives him money. You must make your cousin drink my health. What are you going about? Why, sir, I believe tis no harm, or elseways I am sure I would not blab. I am only going to ask if Sir George goes to the masquerade tonight, and what dress he wears. Enough. Now, Dick, if you will call at my lodgings in your way back and acquaint me with your cousin's intelligence, I'll double the trifle I have given you. Bless your honor, I'll call. Never fear. Exit, Dick. Surely the occasion may justify the means. Tis doubly my duty to be Lady Frances's protector. Cortall, I see, is planning an artful scheme, but Seville shall outplot him. Exit Seville. Scene four. Sir George Touchwoods. Enter Sir George and Villers. For shame, Sir George. You have left Lady Frances in tears. How can you afflict her? Tis I that am afflicted. My dream of happiness is over. Lady Frances and I are disunited. The devil! Why, you have been in town but ten days. She can have made no acquaintance for a commons affair yet. Pooh! Tis our minds that are disunited. She no longer places her whole delight in me. She has yielded herself up to the world. Yielded herself up to the world? Why did you not bring her to town in a cage? Then she might have taken a peep at the world. But, after all, what has the world done? A twelve-month since, you was the gayest fellow in it. If anybody asked, who dresses best? Sir George Touchwood. Who is the most gallant man? Sir George Touchwood. Who is the most wedded to amusement and dissipation? 
Sir George Touchwood, and now Sir George is metamorphosed into a sour censor and talks of fashionable life with as much bitterness as the old crabbed fellow in Rome. The moment I became possessed of such a jewel as Lady Frances, everything wore a different complexion. That society in which I lived with so much éclat became the object of my terror, and I think of the manners of polite life as I do of the atmosphere of a pest house. My wife is already infected. She was set upon this morning by maids, widows, and bachelors, who carried her off in triumph in spite of my displeasure. I, to be sure, there would have been no triumph in the case if you had not opposed it, but I have heard the whole story from Mrs. Rackett, and I assure you Lady Frances didn't enjoy the morning at all. She wished for you fifty times. Indeed. Are you sure of that? Perfectly sure. I wish I had known it. My uneasiness at dinner was occasioned by very different ideas. Here then she comes to receive your apology. But if she is true woman, her displeasure will rise in proportion to your contrition, and till you grow careless about her pardon, she won't grant it. However, I'll leave you. Matrimonial duets are seldom set in the style I like. Exit Villers. Enter Lady Frances. The sweet sorrow that glitters in these eyes I cannot bear. Embracing her. Look cheerful, you rogue. I cannot look otherwise if you are pleased with me. Well, Fanny, today you made your entree in the fashionable world. Tell me honestly the impressions you received. Indeed, Sir George, I was so hurried from place to place that I had not time to find out what my impressions were. That's the very spirit of the life you have chosen. Everybody about me seemed happy, but everybody seemed in a hurry to be happy somewhere else. And you like this? One must like what the rest of the world likes. Pernicious maxim! But, my dear Sir George, you have not promised to go with me to the masquerade. It would be a shocking indecorum to be seen together, you know. Oh, no! I asked Mrs. Rackett, and she told me we might be seen together at the masquerade without being laughed at. Really? Indeed, to tell you the truth, I could wish it was the fashion for married people to be inseparable for I have more heartfelt satisfaction in fifteen minutes with you at my side than fifteen days of amusement could give me without you. My sweet creature, how that confession charms me. Let us begin the fashion. Oh, impossible! We should not gain a single proselyte, and you can't conceive what spiteful things would be said of us. At Kensington today a lady met us whom we saw at court when we were presented. She lifted up her hands in amazement. Bless me, said she to her companion, here's Lady Frances without Sir Herlo Thrumbo. My dear Mrs. Rackett, consider what an important charge you have. For heaven's sake, take her home again, or some enchanter or on a flying dragon will descend and carry her off. 
"Oh," said another, "I dare say Lady Frances has a clue at her heel, like the peerless Rosamond. Her tender swain would never have trusted her so far without such a precaution." Heaven and earth! How shall innocence preserve its lustre amidst manners so corrupt? My dear Fanny, I feel a sentiment for thee at this moment tenderer than love, more animated than passion. I could weep over that purity exposed to the sullying breath of fashion and the ton in whose latitudinary vortex chastity herself can scarcely move unspotted. Enter Gibson. Your honor talked, I thought, something about going to the masquerade. Well? Isn't it? Hasn't your honor? I thought your honor had forgot to order a dress. Well considered, Gibson. Come, will you be Jew, Turk, or heretic? A Chinese emperor, or a ballad singer, a rake, or a watchman? Oh, neither, my love. I can't take the trouble to support a character. You wear a domino, then. I saw a pink domino trimmed with blue at the shop where I bought my habit. Would you like it? Anything, anything. Then go about it directly, Gibson. A pink domino trimmed with blue, and a hat of the same. Come, you have not seen my dress yet. It is most beautiful. I long to have it on. Excellent, Sir George and Lady Frances. A pink domino trimmed with blue, and a hat of the same. What the devil can it signify to Sully now what his dress is to be? Surely the slut has not made an assignation to meet her master. Exit Gibson. End of the third act.